This week, this sorry excuse for a podcast is sponsored by Lilith's Mattresses. Lilith's Mattresses have a unique combination of high-performance straw and hypoallergenic newt-scale filling, which delivers contouring pressure relief, core support, and a guaranteed 87% lice-free sleep. That just sounds awful. In my experience, people need a few lice to remind them that they're alive. Nothing like a good rash to focus the mind. Well, I suppose if you want to spend good money on a glorified sack of straws, I suppose you should get one. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I, as always, am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, and with me is my irascible yet industrious co-host... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ has ever delighted to be here. I can tell. Woo! Yeah, no, very, very super pleased, super excited. It sounds like we've got an amazing show this week. So how excited do you think you are on a scale of 1 to 10? On a scale of 1 to 10... I'm going to have to go to at least an 11. What if you were using my special favourite game in all the world scoring system? Oh, uh, 22 out of 44. Wow. Yeah. That's worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gone down. Oh, no. I Welcome should to stop. your special scoring system. <laughs> yes. I should stop asking while we're ahead. <laughs> I think you should. That would be a strong choice. Strong choice. <laughs> oh, Fair enough. Fair oh, enough. Um, so how about we move swiftly on? And swiftly. how about I ask you, what has caught your eye this week? Well, the thing is, I, I've been like, you know, pootling around and there is only one thing that has really stood out, that has really caught my attention, that's okay. like, you know, basically blown me away. Mm. And it's actually a Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It uh, funded in nine minutes. And um, smashed its goal. Uh, you, you, you may be slightly familiar with it. It's uh, from Ian Publishing. Never heard of them. Yeah, and it's like their, their previous efforts, they, I think, to get themselves started with uh, the old and new systems. They got something like 45,000. They did like a very popular intellectual property, uh, Fifth Dead Dungeons & Dragons. Big mm. expansion for that. They capped 60,000. And now for um, Church Dread, uh, what? What is the latest news on Judge Dread? What what sort of figures are you up to now? Uh, well, since you ask, yeah. since I ask. <laughs> um, so as I look at it right now, as yeah. we're recording, yes. it's uh, eighty nine thousand eight hundred and seventy five pounds, which I think is somewhere in the region of one hundred and ten thousand dollars. Hello, your editor Daryl here with a quick Kickstarter update. At the time of posting, the Judge Dread in the Worlds of 2080 Kickstarter is at £98,530, or about $128,040. And Russ has announced that as soon as the Kickstarter crosses the $100,000 threshold, a free Quick Start PDF will be made available on DriveThru, so make sure to check it out. The link is in the show notes. Yeah, so... Basically, that was against a goal of, what, seven and a half grand? Mm. So, like, over ten times what you wanted. Uh, yes. And you go break, probably. I mean, this is what, like, getting on for less than a week since you started running it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by the time people hear this, yeah, yeah. it would have been a week and a day. But as yeah. we're recording it, it's not a week yet. It's not a week yet. That is... Yeah. Yeah, like, like I say, I mean, um, to me, that, that seems like a really really good kickstarter 
and really blown away with it. Yeah, and uh, I've seen some other nice stuff. Like, there's been a nice post on Reddit about how to make things less evil, but quite frankly, uh, how to make evil races, why they're evil. But I think that Mm -hmm. really falls more into world building, and we'll talk about that later in the podcast. Okay. Uh, That sort of motivation and so forth. But no, no, I mean, I'd say I... I'm really impressed. That's that's a lot of money in a very small space of time. Yes, yes, it is. So, Bruce, what's caught your eye? Uh, well, for me, it's been the brand new Pathfinder video game. Oh, nice, nice. Oh, well, is that called Kingmaker or something? Yeah, Pathfinder Kingmaker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember um, Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights? <laughs> I may have some small familiarity with these products, right. yes. Um, so this is basically that. I mean, if you... But if you, if you, if you uh, but, but using the Pathfinder rules. But if you okay. boot it up, basically, you're going to feel an instant familiarity there with the whole isometric view, managing a party, yeah. all this uh, sort of stuff. Jumping uh-huh. into the inventory screen to... Mm. about. It's all uh-huh. very, very familiar. But nice, you nice. Know, much more modern graphics and... You know, stick of gameplay and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it uses the Pathfinder first edition rules, which I think Baldur's Gate used. Was it AD? The Baldur's second Gate, edition? yeah. Baldur's Gate was uh, second ed, basically. Yeah. Uh, Neverwinter's Night. I, uh, I'll be honest. I enjoyed Neverwinter's Night two. I never yeah. actually played Neverwinter's Night because NWN two was multiplayer, and actually I was like playing through it with like some friends, and it meant that I because it was based off third ed rules, I actually understood what the stats did. Oh, was that, that was, was that was that third edition? That Never yeah, that, 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 oh, okay. three well, three point five. Yeah. Well, in that case, people who play this who have played Neverwinter Nights because Pathfinder is basically yeah three point five updated. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they'll be very 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 familiar with it then. In that case, um, I'm really yeah. really enjoying. It. I'm not far into it yet. Um, I haven't really got to the sort of delved fully into the sort of kingdom building aspect of it. But, oh, uh, what, uh, what sort of level do you start off at? Uh, first level. Okay, yeah, yeah. First devil. So you create your character, you meet uh-huh. your fellow uh, sort of NPC characters yep. within the first, uh, I don't know, five, ten minutes or so. Yeah, you're, you're uh, scruffy nerf herders, you go into a cellar, you kill some rats. Yeah, sort of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you start off, you've got to escape a mansion that's on fire while bandits and uh, assassins are raiding it, is, uh, is how it starts off. That sounds very in media res, and that's a great way to start a roleplay campaign. It is, it absolutely is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I'm really, really, really enjoying it. Mm. Um, definite blast from the past. If you liked Bad Escape, if you liked Neverwinter Nights 2, I think you will love this. That sounds really, really recommend. Uh, when do you pick this up? Is this on Steam, good old games? I, I, I got it off Steam. I assume it's available elsewhere as well, but I got it off Steam. I mean, oh, I've, okay. I've got a Mac, so I, that probably limits oh. the, my options. It's probably more available to those without. Okay. I would have thought. <laughs> so people outside of the walled garden might also be able to get it. We think. We haven't checked. <laughs> I, I assume so. I'm, I'm 99.9999999% sure. Daryl here with a quick note. Pathfinder Kingmaker is available on Steam and Good Old Games, a.k.a. GOG, and runs on Windows PC, Mac, and Linux, with links in the show notes. That sounds like you've got some good confidence limits there, so I agree. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, shall we do some news? Oh, yes, yes. What's What's been happening in the world of role-playing? So we got uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. What? Get out. M- many people consider that their favourite Star Trek TV show. I do not, but I quite like it. Hello, Daryl here again. Um, Deep Space Nine is my favourite too. I just, just wanted to chime in and say that. 
you're entitled uh, to your opinions, no matter how wrong they are. So that's okay. Uh, well, well, would you like to know some news about Deep Space Nine as it relates to tabletop role-playing games? This is very relevant to my interest. Good. Uh, so, Star Trek Adventures, as you know, is the current Star Trek role-playing game from Modivius. You, uh, so it's a short PDF. Uh, basically, it's got all the stats for the crew of... <sighs> the listeners can't see this right now, but um, Peter is dancing around the room. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> what can I say? I'm a Deep Space Nine fan. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so... so what we need to do is have a heist from Deep Space Nine. I'll be a very happy man. <laughs> I'm sure that could be arranged. Woohoo! Okay, yeah. So anyway, you were saying Deep Space Nine. Uh, so, so, okay. Yes, uh, short short PDF from Modifius. Uh, you <laughs> get the stats of all of the crew of Deep Space Nine. You know, Cisco oh. and Jadzia and all that lot. Uh, yeah. And you also get two new playable races for Star Trek Adventures. Um, you get Changelings and you get Ooh. Ferengi. Nice. So um, it's really short. It's only like three pounds, four pounds, something like that. It's uh, it's not it's yeah. not a big big book release and it's only only available in pdf format but if you're a star trek mm. adventures fan i think it's probably a a definite must-have yeah yeah i could see that being uh very worthwhile so what no mention of the drawings i suppose they don't really need stats i wonder if they were in mm. the core rule book i'm not sure offhand i'd have to could check be actually i yeah. think they probably were mm-hmm. i could see the argument for that uh but yeah and no Gemadar. oh man i suppose you just take a cling on then Add some armor and way more aggro, and you're done. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. uh, that, that's super exciting. Deep Space Nine now out for Modifius's Star Trek Adventures, yeah. uh, but only available as a PDF. Marvelous. Uh, so, those fans of Starfinder, um, mm-hmm. you can now pre order the Alien Archive 2. Oh, that's what their bestery for um, Starfinder, isn't it? Yeah, so it's got, it says, over 100 bizarre life forms, both classic and new, from the voracious Akataz and silicon-based Qualus to radioactive Pluprex demons and void-dwelling vermin. Ooh, demons. Yes. But now they're radioactive. And there's also a dozen new races uh, with full player rules uh, containing things from uplifted bears to sentient slugs. Wow. Okay, um, sentient slugs. Sentient slugs. Up, up, uplifted bears, Russ. I'll be honest, that's causing me a concern. Mm. Um, well, basically, bears are apex predators and will wreck you, uh, generally speaking. So having one that's been uplifted, as in it's now intelligent, uh, mm-hmm. I'm presuming they're using uplifted in the sense that David Brin originally used it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, now that's, uh, that, that's going to be bad for somebody, possibly whoever the bear is looking at. Yeah. Well, they're player characters, so... Yeah. Bear PCs, are they OP in role-playing games? Uh, <laughs> tune in next week for our topic of the week. <laughs> Interesting stuff. I've got one other thing. Bit of a oh, stretch, yeah, but um, we, are, we are struggling for news this week. Um, so, uh, the, t- the animated TV show Adventure Time... Oh, yes, yes. The Adventure Zone, do you mean? Oh, no, the Adventure no, Time. Adventure Time. Adventure Zone's the podcast. Adventure Time's the one with the weird kid with the weird dog. Yeah, so this is uh, yeah Pendleton Ward's show. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm bringing it up because um, it is tangentially collect- connected to D and D, and it draws a lot of inspiration from D and D. And so Pendleton Ward was a story consultant for D and D's Tomb of Annihilation adventure. That's who Pendleton Ward is. Yes, yeah, yeah, because he did lot lot work with um, the chalk setting, didn't he? Yeah. 
Mm. Um, so, yeah, Adventure Time has come to an end after an eight-year run, ten seasons long. Goodness. That's a, yeah. that's a lot of renewals. Well done, then. Yeah. Yeah, so, oh, so Pendleton Ward, he sort of uh, commented on how uh, D&D influenced the show. Um, mm. And uh, uh, he said, uh, I'm just reading this off an interview he did, uh, he said, when I'm writing an episode, it feels like I'm playing D&D with the characters. The last episode I wrote was called Rainy Day Daydream. I was drawing Finn crawling into this room where he kept a load of magical items, armour and weapons from past adventures. And because I was just winging it at that point in the story, it had the same feeling as playing D&D and stumbling upon a treasure room full of the craziest loot. I was in control of which weapons Finn could pick up. It was fun. And uh, he goes on a little more. But uh, yeah, uh, he's, he's repeatedly said just how much... The show mm. was influenced by D&D, and obviously he was a story consultant for Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah, nice, which is like a hell of a thing to have done. And I must say, the little bits of Tomb of Annihilation that I've come across have been very exciting. So I really like Tomb of Annihilation. It's one of my favourites mm. of the 5th edition ones. I've not played that. Uh, I'm currently set to be playing through Horde of the Dragon Queen. We've got mm, a party yeah. of kobolds, and we're, we're getting on. I mean, that's... That's basically what's taking up my Saturday in October when uh, mm. I might otherwise be going to go and watch a show. But, you know, on the whole, I'd rather be playing D&D than watching a show about it. Okay. Old-fashioned yeah. as I am. And now for another consultation with the famed monster psychiatrist, Dr. Phileas Blakemore. Uh, Dr. Phileas Blakemore is approaching... A mighty dragon's lair. Uh, uh, so, uh, Mr. Mr. Coralanth, or should I call you Mr. Destroyer? Please, call me Coralanth. Coralanth. Well, uh, Coralanth, uh, it's not often I make house calls like this, but I suppose I can make an exception in this case, because there's no way you're going to fit in my office, are you? Well, I'm sorry about that. I can't help that you have such... Ridiculously puny offices. Well, to be fair, you are 200 feet long. Yes, I am. That's perfectly normal for a dragon of my age. Fair enough. I am, uh, I'm, a, I'm a psychiatrist, of course. I mean, what, what, what can I do for you? Why, why, why have you asked me to come and see you? Hmm. Well, you see, I have a problem. A problem? Of an embarrassingly personal nature. What sort of a problem could a mighty dragon like you have? I have a dark and terrible secret. Ah, uh, pray tell. You see, these coins upon which I lounge. Unfortunately, I'm not actually fond of gold. What? It's, it's just a thing. It's, but you're a dragon. I know, I know. You don't like gold? Well, it's, it's okay, but have you tasted modern coinage? Uh, it's not really part of my diet. Well, I can assure you, it's, it, it's just full of brass and zinc. And have you any idea how fattening those things are? So why have you collected so much? Well, I think you'll find, actually, that this is aluminium-coated chocolate coins. Wait. You're lying on a bed of millions and millions of chocolate coins? Yes, that's correct. Uh, I, 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 may, may, I, may, may I try one? No. Oh. Okay. Hmm. This is a unusual problem, Mr. Destroyer. I, I don't... Please, please, call me Coralance. Coralance, Coralance. I said, 
I've never come across a problem quite of this magnitude. Yes, I know, it's awful. Um, I mean, is this causing you uh, difficulty in your daily life? Apart from being sticky and covered in chocolate. And that's a problem? Often, yes, yes. I mean, I, I quite enjoy the sensation after a while, and um, I must say, it fits to my body a lot better when I um, initially warm it up, and then I can just sort of scooch down, make myself comfortable, but then the coins go out of shape, and um, as you can see, it just tends to attract wasps. Hmm. Has it had any effect on your reputation as a mighty destroyer? Oh, I've, I've had to keep it a secret. Why, if this came out, I would be the laughing stock. Oh, dear, dear, dear. And that would be terrible. Hmm. Well, ooh, what to do about this? Um, well, my, my only advice for you, Mr. Destroyer, is mm. um, just to change the things you can change and accept the things that you can't. Hmm. Well, I suppose I could go and burn down some places until they replace the coinage with more gold-based, but I've grown used to this accommodating chocolate coinage. I suppose thank you for coming out here. <laughs> now be gone! So, out there past the Arkenstone, is it? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Turn left at the Arkenstone. Uh, pull that lever immediately after it. Otherwise, you'll activate a pit trap. <laughs> uh, so, how would you like to play our favourite game in all the world? Oh, would I? I don't know, would you? Is it still opposite day? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, moving swift on. Yes, let's play it. Alright then, our favourite game yeah. in all the world where yeah. I tell you the name of a Kickstarter and you have to guess what it is from just the name. Uh, just the title alone. Feeling stoked. Let's do it. Woo. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing. Nothing could possibly go wrong. That's what we've established over the past 15 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are you ready? Yes, let's do it. Number one. What is... Uh, Bunnies and Burrows. Well, it's an old RPG. Mm -hmm. um, like, basically, it's it's for those people that saw the harrowing 90 minutes that was Watership Down and said, <laughs> you know what? That's an experience oh, you wish to recreate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need more trauma in my life. <laughs> and thus, Bunnies and Burrows was born. You get to play uh, rabbits, like not anthropomorphic ones, actual rabbits, mm. going around doing, I don't know, rabbit things, but being a rabbit is kind of a tough deal. So that's what it was, but why is it a Kickstarter now? I guess because they're doing a new issue. Yes. Um, so it was originally published in 1976. I guess you've got like a, a million points there. Yeah, I mean, occasionally I know what things are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bunny and Burrows, a game where you play rabbits. It's not easy being a rabbit. Dangers are everywhere in a hostile world of forests, fields, farms, and certainly for one of my old characters, roads and motorways. I think that's something Angus wrote there. His old Ooh, characters. Yes. Um, and, and let's not forget dogs. Uh, so this is being brought back by Frog God Games Ooh, uh, with a 200 page book. Hmm. Nice. Okay. We can simple that one. We knew yeah. what that was. Yeah. Okay, next one. Come on, give me a challenge. Next one. Okay. Ooh. What, Peter, what is the Pelion Report for Olympus Inc? Diane. C, not I-N-K. I'll tell you what it is. It's an absolutely smashing title. 
it puts me in mind very much of those old um, 1970s spy thrillers mm. that you pick up, like you know, the Andromeda Strain. Something by Michael Crichton is what I'm basically driving at here. Okay. Perkery, John Grisham, yeah. So, uh, what was it called? The Pelion Report. P E L I O N, the Pelion yeah. Report. Yeah, and it was for Olympus Inc. Uh, so the Pelion report for Olympus Inc. Yes. And then colon it tells you what game system it is up. Ah, fantastic. Yeah. So uh, I'm yeah I'm going to go with Micah and say it's some sort of spy thriller type game. Is it its own system? I don't know, but it's a game that's going to be about some sort of well report like the Pelion report, and that's a code name for something. And Olympus Inc. will be the um, the organising body, a bit like uh, Archer, mm. um, has um, Isis and Odin and so forth. So Olympus Inc. will be, maybe it's got sort of like, you're all detectives working for a Greek god-themed detective agency, uh, a bot slash spy agency, and uh, that, that's that, that's what you're doing. Yeah, so, not yeah. Bad, bad, I, I would bad. definitely pick this up just to see what was going on. So, that's a great day. It's a solid six out of ten now. Uh-huh. What you missed on there is it's not a Greek god-themed Spy agency. Yes, it's a oh, spy yeah. agency of Greek, Greek gods. gods. Yeah. <laughs> so what ha- what's happened here is all of the Olympians have been kicked out of the heavens. Yeah, and in the modern know. world, they've basically formed instead of sort of you know places on tops of mountains like Mount Olympus. <laughs> it's sort of um, they're uh, making some of the world's largest corporations, and so the Titans and the Olympians sort of fight for control of the heavens and earth on a sort of corporate kind of. Spy espionage kind of level. Why not? That sounds that sounds amusing. I mean, obviously there are problems with Zeus and Zeus. Can you not put that inside that ever? <laughs> <laughs> that does look kind of fun. That actually, I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, yeah. Does it say what system it's being? Uh, in Savage it? Worlds. Savage Worlds. And it says Ooh. special ops, espionage, alchemy, demigods, mythic beings, and modern day collide. That, that does sound like the sort of thing that um, Fast, Furious and Fun Pulp Fiction would run well with, uh, Savage Worlds. Uh, I'm quite a fan of the system. Mm. Definitely looking forward to the new system coming out, so hopefully that will be uh, backwards compatible. Hmm. Okay then, the next one. Yep. What is Shadows Over Drift Chapel? Mm. Well... Uh, it's a slightly longer title than that, actually. I'll give you the full one. Adventure Kit, Shadows Over Drift Chapel is the full, full title. Okay, um, yeah, so Adventure Kit didn't give me like a lot extra because I was going to say it's like a module for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Fifth Ed, maybe Pathfinder. Actually, no, I don't like maybe Call of Cthulhu. It, it's hard to say because Chapel could be like a number of things, but Shadows Over is generally a sign that there's some sort of horror theming going on and um, that you've got some sort of Arg horribles. Uh, a portmanteau coming from Arg and it's horrible that's threatening whatever, in this case, Driftwood Travel, compare and contrast with Arkham, uh, Innsmouth, etc. That, that, so, um, I'm guessing it's a variation on that sort of Call of Cthulhu theming. Um, that's what all I can tell you for that. But yeah, it sounds like it might be good. Okay, so it's got hints of Cthulhu in there, I'd say, yeah. um, the- theme, thematically. So I'll give you sort of three out of ten for that. <laughs> um, it's a fifth edition. Yep. Adventure kit. It's a, they call it an adventure kit. It's like a uh-huh. module for creating like modular locations, encounters, NPCs, plot lines, and stuff right. in a certain um, world. In this case, it's the world of Gloam, which is a near-apocalyptic Victorian slash colonial-inspired fantasy realm, brimming with black powder and shadowy horrors beyond human reckoning. 
In fifth, as you say. In this edition, yes. Interesting choice. I'm sure they put a lot of thought into overcoming the many obvious technical uh, problems that would go with it. Some of the sort of art going with it. It's got a nice art there. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's got a certain amount of bloom yeah. into it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it, it, it looks like how, how I would expect such a such a product title to look. So yeah, meets expectations. Hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah. So next one. Next yes. one is what is what is what is the Dawnline RPG. Well, it's going to be its own RPG. Mm-hmm. So a novel uh, system and presumably setting as well. The Dawn Line. One mm. word. Dawn Line. Oh, Dawn Line's one word. Mm. Oh, that, uh, oh. That, that, that's actually that's actually interesting. So presumably there's some sort of organization or something that is concert or like organization might be too strong a word but it's like sets up the sort of idea that you get from things like um ah oh, what do you call it that russian series of novels like day watch night watch twilight watch and you've got like sort of the dawn line being um this sort of place where the which is like a boundary like sort of one of these interstitial places where the forces of night and the forces of day um, are in conflict. Uh, so, yeah. They're definitely close. I mean, what specific creature do you think especially Dawn might be a line for? Uh, vampires, yeah, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, has per... Uh, was it the Daywatch books and stuff? So you've got, like, forces, hobgoblins, vampires, trolls, all, all sorts of supernatural weirdness on one side or on the other side. So Dawn line... No, I can't get a lot more than that from the name. Okay. There's all sorts of interesting things it could be. I think you've probably, you've probably got half of it there, so I'll give, no. I'll give you from 7 out of 14. Okay. Uh, so, um, this is um, it's an interesting concept. It's a vampire RPG, as you, yes. you kind of guessed. Um, it's set on this world where night and day are places, and all of society lives in the twilight in between. Mm-hmm. And there's this group of vampires, and their role is protecting a nomadic village. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So there's a bit of a role mm. reversal there. So the vampires, they defend on the village for blood and companionship, because mm-hmm. without the humans, they would starve. Okay. Um, and at the same time, the village depends on the vampires um, to sort of protect okay. them from the various monsters and creatures and things. Wow, they took the people has cattle metaphor and just <laughs> really straight out made it on the nose. Um, mm. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's got something to be said for it. Uh, it's all the devils in details. Mm. Uh, have they got any bit more sizzle to go with that sauce? Um, let's have a look. So, um, uh, the Dawn Line takes place in a land of deserts, uh, steppes and badlands where water mm. is scarce and food is hard to come by. Worse, every living creature must constantly migrate west to flee the obliterating light which lies on the other side of the Dawn Line. So... This nomadic mm. village is constantly on the move, presumably, in front of basically the Terminator. Yeah. Is that what yeah. it's called, the Terminator? Yeah, 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 that's yeah. it, yeah. And I'm not mm. talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger here. <laughs> well, your chances are a lot better with him than with this stuff. It sounds like you've got some sort of... Oh, okay, so you've got blazing sunshine that just, like, destroys everything yeah. underneath But if you go it. too far west, you end up in the dark. Yeah. Where yeah. lots of horrible things are. So right. you've got to stay in this twilight band. Oh, so it's all constantly on the move. Yeah, uh, again, literal shades of grey. Mm. Oh, um... And so that's why it makes a certain amount of sense to stick with the vampires for... It's, it's interesting. 
Uh, what's this last one? I don't know if you've heard of this one. Um, it appeared on Kickstarter this week. Apparently, it mm-hmm. funded in about nine minutes. That's quite interesting. So, I don't know if you can guess this one at all. What is Judge Dredd and the Worlds of 2018? Um, well, it's, a, it's a tricky one. Um, like, wasn't there a film about that? It's some sort <laughs> of like spaceship and a monolith. I remember the space air fusel was very. Yeah, so basically you have a spaceship that's going to Jupiter. <laughs> no, no, that's 2001. That's 2001. That's the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> it was the year before. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, let's skip that one, shall let, we? Let, let, let's right, skip that one. Skip. Yeah. Okay, that was just sneaky of me, wasn't it? <laughs> Shocking. Shocking. How could anyone see through such subterfuge? <laughs> Uh, you're clearly on the ball today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's the end of the game for this week. Hooray! Um, excellent fun to be had in playing it. You know, I always thought Bunnings and Burrows was actually like a joke. I've never played it. No, well, I, I, I thought it was a joke that was in like a, what's it, Dork Tower? They mm. talked about playing Bunnings and Burrows and Tunnels and Trolls. I thought, clearly joke systems that don't actually exist because they're riffing off Dungeons and Dragons. No, these are actual things. Tunnels and Trolls, yeah, um, yeah, yeah Bunnies and Burrows, yeah, it's quite an old yeah, one, isn't yeah, it? But I've never, yeah. you know, I've never played it myself. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, watch it down the RPG, sounds good. Yeah. Okay, so what is our topic this week? Our topic this week. Our topic of the week is something that every games master, storyteller, or dungeon master in the world will have to do, even if only in the tiniest amounts. World building. World building. World building, yeah. The building of worlds. <laughs> Don't sound too infused. It sounds like, it sounds, <laughs> sounds like the uh, plot to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> All right, calm down, Slotty Barthas. <laughs> <laughs> and also it was world-destroying in the first one, to be to be pedantic, which of course, and technically correct, which, as we know, is the best kind of correct. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, world building. Basically... No matter what you're doing, whenever you're doing a role-playing game, you will have to do a little bit of world-building. Mm-hmm. Because even if you're running a module, players, being players, will come up with something that is outside the realm uh, of what it is. No matter how detailed the description, you will sometimes have to go off-script and create something which nobody else has done before to fit into the question that was asked. Like, it could be they someone asked, what colour is that wall? And it's not specified, it's like, ah, oh, that is grey. So last week we very briefly touched on this, didn't we, before we moved on, but we, yes. just, we discussed the idea of doing a top-down or a start-small. Daryl here with a quick reminder, if you missed last week's show, top-down design means you start with the largest levels, the entire world or the entire country, and then start working inward, while start-small means starting with the immediate area the players will be in, like a starting village or a space station, and then expanding outward when necessary as you go. Yeah, two two sort of contrary ways of doing it. Absolutely, um, and I was I was a fan of the start small. You were you which side did you come down on that? Oh, I'm definitely uh, start small as well. Yeah, because uh, top down is excellent practice in many ways. Brilliant if you're writing a novel. Maybe less good if you're running a game for players. If you're J.R.R. Tolkien, of course, and you're building wood, the first thing you have to do is devise a very, very extensive and complicated uh, uh, elven language. Absolutely. Before you do anything else. If you don't have the grammar, then just get out <laughs> and you're wasting everyone's time. Make it all sad. And then you have to write songs in it as well. Yeah, so of course Tolkien is the, the obvious top-down approach. Yes. Where he mapped it and he developed languages and he developed the entire thing. And you can read about it in what... 
I will, at the risk of sounding unpopular, describe as excruciating detail. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I personally have not read the similar... similar Silmarillion. 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 There we go. Me we, we, we do keep up going. I basically, I don't read books if I can't pronounce the title. That's my... <laughs> That's, that's a strong. That's, that's a my str- one rule. I only have one rule in life, and that's my rule. <laughs> the number one rule: do not read a book if you can't pronounce the title. Just yeah. Uh, here. Uh, well, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, and to be fair, Tolkien's had a huge influence. Like there are many, many fantasy books filled with funny names, mm. basically names that don't make any sense and that are hard to pronounce. And I'm like, not first. So, what? How many worlds have you? I always find the phrasing. No. Odd, but how many how many worlds have you built in your sort of gaming career? Uh, seriously? No, 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 no. no. Seriously, <laughs> seriously, as in I put time, effort, and thought into constructing them. Go on. I would say probably like four, mm. which is not a big number. It's a really small number. Yeah. But these are worlds that I keep returning to. Yeah. Like I'll do stuff for one offs and one shots, and I'll go visit other people's creations. But things that I have put a lot of time and effort into to thinking about, to realising the world, I've really only done about four properly. A, a way many people start off is they uh, pick up a module and go with that, and that's mm. got a lot of advantages. That's like, always a good way to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's it, the easiest way to do it, isn't it? Yeah, you, you've got the Forgotten Realm. There's a lot of information written about it. Mm. And at some point, I may read some of it. Yeah, well, I'm not. I'm not a Forgotten Realms lore expert no. by any stretch of the imagination. No. A lot of people seem to really like it, and that's awesome. I'm super, super happy for them. I don't know how true this is, but I, ha- mm. I read somewhere someone once said that Forgotten Realms is like vanilla ice cream in the sense that it's the most popular ice mm-hmm. cream in the world, but it's not usually anybody's favourite. It's everybody's second favourite. Yeah, it's very, very reliable sort of thing. Um, I don't know if that's true with Gotten Realms. I think there's a lot of people out there that it that really is their favourite. And absolutely fair play to them. Like if you've read a lot of the Drist books, um, so if you were to go, if someone said, "Oh, well, the game is set in this place mm. and has a player," that means that you're like, "Oh, actually, I know what this this is like." Mm. And it's like these conceptual hooks. You you say something isn't this. It's like this. Mm. And there's a space for historical sort of or pseudo historical role playing. Where you say it's actually set in, say, 15th century France and you're all playing musketeers. So, how realistic do you like? I mean, do you worry about the economics of worlds? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Because I'm definitely very much anti doing that. No, no, absolutely. I'm very happy to cross over that. And yeah. if someone points out that doesn't work, it's like, well, whatever. <laughs> it's a yeah. game. Uh, I mean, you used to have that old, uh, what's it, that tripod of gamist, narrativist simulations. Yeah. I think, to be fair, that's like, now considered to be less accurate mm. but yeah I, I find it useful has like an intermediate model so the simulationist aspects would be what we'll be talking about and spending money on stuff is that is it important yes but i think it's better to sort of game it a bit and yeah. abstract i think, it I think out. it's when you realize sort of um you're carrying in your if you look at the sort of the economics and how much things cost in yep. a sort of role playing rule book, mm-hmm. and then you apply that to say the salary of an average farmer, and then the amount oh, yeah. that you've got in your pouch and stuff, right. it just completely breaks down. Well, um, yeah. completely. But I also think that doesn't matter. I mean, there's a there's a really good book you can get. Have you ever seen it? It's what? called A Magical Medieval Society, uh, hmm. Western Europe. It's called. Oh, that that, that that's very interesting. And um, yeah, but I mean. 
just saying what, just looking at what you're talking about for a second, like the difference in wealth, that would explain why people become adventurers. No, because yeah. it's like I could be a farmer, it's safe, but I get like a copper piece a day, or I could be an adventurer, may well get killed, guaranteed to fill my pockets mm. with lots and lots of money, wealth beyond the dreams of avarice, quite literally. Okay, so uh, what's this? Medieval Europe uh, has so, a yeah. magical society. Magi- <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> magical medieval society, Western Europe, it's called. It's by yeah. Expeditious, Retre- Expeditious Retreat Press, and it came out <laughs> yeah. about twenty years ago. I think they may have updated it a couple of times mm. over the years. Yeah, and so you can get it from Drive Through RPG, and you can get um, print mm-hmm. versions as well. Yeah, but basically, it is quite an interesting book in that it really does kind of delve into a lot of the nitty gritty. Mm. I mean, it's, it's it's fairly sort of Western. Europe themed yeah, but um, it delves into the sort of nitty gritty of world building mm. um, so it goes into um, economies and yeah. sort of uh, royal titles and mm-hmm. all this sort of detail that yeah. you need to sort of furnish your world with to give it sort of mm-hmm. and, it, and it goes into just like things like the prices of different commodities mm. and all sorts of stuff trade okay. all sorts of stuff law politics you know, so it may be more detail than some people need, and it's probably more mm. detail than I've ever used building yeah, yeah. but it's definitely sort of eye-opening. Yeah, I think it's sort of good to have background knowledge. Like, actually, one of my things that really turned me on to world building would be stuff like Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs and Steel. Oh, uh, well, no, what's that one? Well, it's a history of everybody for the last 50,000 years. Mm-hmm. And it's a book by a chap called Jared Diamond, who's a scientist who's got a variety of disciplines. Mm-hmm. And... There is some dispute about the details of what he says, but broadly, it looks at how the modern world came to be. So how would you sort of use that in... Because, you know, we're talking about world building in an RPG mm. context. Yeah. I mean, how much of that would you sort of tend to use when building a world? I, I would dip in and out. I, I think one of the interesting things is generating a map. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of different ways, like throwing dice and then the type of dice and the number it shows... Has a thing that is a way I need to look into that more because I think that would be a very interesting way to make a map. Or you could just have a sketch. If you have mountains, mm. then uh, from the sea coming in, all the rain will be on one side. And then you have like what's called a rain shadow, which is places which are on either side and they don't get the rain. Mm. And that sort of leads naturally to deserts and so forth. And then that helps you have the places which you can then steal the various cultures that you're going to rip off. Because let's face it, most of fantasy is ripping off another culture. So rainfall tells you what sort of terrain you'd get. And that tells you like whether you have hunters or herders or like, you know, a civilization. Like having a civilization in the middle of the desert. Sure, why not? But why is it in the middle of a desert? It sort of helps build up the world in your head. But if you get in your head a vision of like this magnificent white pillared city smack bang in the middle of a desert surrounded by the ruins of ships then that's brilliant you should make that why is that a thing what events have led to this and i'm just describing tarsis from the dragonland series mm-hmm. and that's a brilliant you know white the white wing ships of tarsis a brilliant like turn of phrase really evocative yeah because the sea was heated long ago yeah, yeah exactly because of uh, the cataclysm of crin mm. and then it's like you know so tarsis what's what effects has this had on the city like trade has gone, so the city has like large sections of empty parts. But you know, so but some things have still sprung up, like caravan routes, because there's a place for it to go. How are the people being fed? Is there water? That's what okay. okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, have you got any sort of uh, favourite D and D settings that you like? I'm not actually had a chance to play that much in regular D and D. All right. 
I mean, so you're not fond of Forgotten Realms all that much, which I'm, you know, I'm kind of on board with you on yeah. that. It, it, it's, it's, I'm not against it, but like you were saying, it's a bit vanilla for me. Mm. Uh, places I like that I've enjoyed, Barovia, Ravenloft. I'm a big fan of Ravenloft. Always exactly. Been. Like the spell drum. I mean, to be fair, all the D&D settings I've heard of, well, not all of them, but Al-Kadim, the Arabian-themed one, mm. um, Spelljammer, mm. with the ships flying through the sky, and Ravenloft, the horror, mm. I would be 100% on board with playing in those games. Mm. What about you? Uh, I've always been a Dragonlance fan, because I think Dragonlance was my sort of gateway into mm. D&D. Um, yeah. And I read uh, the Chronicles and the Legends mm. when I was a teenager. Yes. Um, and then Ravenloft, obviously, I've always been quite a big fan of. Mm. Um, other than that, I've played a little bit in Forgotten Realms. I'm not, yeah, yeah. you know, it's kind of like a, a sort of default go-to setting, but it's not yeah. sort of narratively in any way my my favourite, I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, never played Spelljammer. Mm. I've always quite liked the idea of Planescape. Never played in it, but, you know, mm. I've read bits and pieces about it. I've always yeah. quite liked the sort of thematic elements of that. Mm-hmm. That's always seemed fun. I'm trying to think of the other D and D settings. There are there's so many of them. Yeah. Over the years. Yeah. Well, they, 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 uh, you got like Greyhawk. Yeah. I mean, Greyhawks was sort of one of the original. Was pretty much the original pop of Mistara, wasn't it? So that's mm. that's very much a sort of uh, uh, more along the lines of um, uh, Forgotten Mountains, and yeah. it's a lot of sort of strongly themed kind of setting, like yeah. Ravenloft or Spelljammer or something that's got a strong hook. Yeah, there tends to be a certain amount of. Vaguely Western Europe, you've got barbarians, yeah. often orcs. Well, of course, Greyhawk also provides most of the names of the things in D&D. So the spell mm-hmm. names oh, okay. and the magical items and stuff like that. Anything that's mm. named, it's oh, got yeah. like a wizard's name, sort of like... Oh, like uh, big, these grasping things. Yeah, or like Mordenkainen, and uh, all that lot. Right. So they're from the Circle of Eight in um, in Greyhawk. Oh, okay. And so there's so there's there's eight powerful wizards and uh, Leomund and uh, Her tiny ch- tiny chest and tiny hut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Tensor. Um, oh yes, yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's, discs. Yeah, there's, so there's, there's a few of them. I mean, they're they're all um, Greyhawk characters. Right. From back in the day, uh, a lot of them were played by. And they sort of moved over to Forgotten Realms. Uh, well. <sighs> Yeah. It, but well, the spell names have. The spell names have, yeah. yeah, yeah. But not the actual characters. Yeah. Oh, the characters, the characters, a lot of those sort of characters were player characters yeah. in Gary Gygax's early mm. games. So yeah. they'd be like his family yes. or friends and they'd come up with these characters. Yes. Um, like, you know, Drawmage. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that's uh, Jim, Jim, Simmons that's or Jim Ward backwards and that was Jim Ward's character, oh. for example. Oh, yes, you yeah. know, and there's, there's a few of them like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, also a brilliant way to do world building. It shouldn't just stop with the GM. Mm. And that is the thing I like. Every time I do a game, what the players say is true. Mm. And it's sort of building up this sort of canon of things they create. I don't think a lot of people really value that. Mm. And I could see that potentially there is the opportunity for people to abuse it or whatever. But yeah. having people say, well, this thing is true about my character is a brilliant leaping off point. Mm. Because it means that this being true means instant buy-in for your game. And it also gives you stuff... It lets you know what your players are interested mm. in. Have you ever tried random generation then for world building? Tables and so forth. <laughs> Rolling dice on tables. Well, yeah. I mean, that's something that I'm sort of quite interested in. But I know you've done like a lot more work on that. I mean, what, what, drew, what drew you to that? Uh, I, well, the first time I think I 
it might not, not have been the first time I saw it, but it was the first time I remember seeing it at least. It was mm-hmm. um, Fass's old Star Trek RPG back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And they had these random tables for coming up with um, new creature races, new mm-hmm. creatures, new alien species, and um, mm-hmm. um, and planets and stuff. So you'd, you'd uh, mm-hmm. randomly like determine their climate and the dominant species and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, which is all quite fun. And so I'd, I've always been inspired by that. Yeah. And uh, I know things like Traveller and plenty of other games do that sort of, sort of sci-fi games do that sort of thing. Um, I'm fairly sure that some fantasy games do do that. I'm just at a loss to think of... I, th- I think it would be entirely possible to do that. Yeah. I mean, because like Alien Worlds and so forth, you expect semi-random. But to me, that would sort of like affect my immersion a bit. Because yeah. I'm like, well, this doesn't make any sense. This is bizarre. Yeah. How, how did yeah. this come about? But... On the other hand, it's a brilliant prompt. Yeah. But I think it depends on your sort of genre you're playing. If you're playing mm. something like Star Trek and you think back to some of the weird, really odd places they've been, yeah. like conceptually, they're just so silly. Like Roman yeah. world or, you yeah. know, and this is, okay. yeah. you know and, th- and things like that. They are they are a bit daft, but... Yeah, it's like, you know, or spring, spring or whether springiest spring of the spring people yeah. is the one who will lead them. I guess it depends whether you're willing to buy into the... Into the sort of keachiness of it or not. Yeah, uh, it, it depends upon the flavour of your game. Mm. And people like NPCs. I mean, yeah. if you need to create an NPC, like you can do it by planning or you can do it on the fly. And how do you, how do you prefer to do it? Well, NPCs, yeah. um, depends on the system, uh-huh. uh, generally speaking. Um, yeah. D&D is quite good in that there's so many generic NPC stat blocks that pretty much any NPC, yeah. you can just say... He's a bandit, and there's a bandit stat block, and okay. you can just modify it slightly. You don't yeah. really need to do much, unless you really, really need this NPC to be very unique. Mm-hmm. Most you don't. Oh, that's interesting. Most NPCs don't need to be unique, especially if they're just walk-on parts. Then again, sometimes it is fun to sort of lovingly craft your master villain down mm-hmm. to the last detail. And I can Ooh, find yeah. that quite good fun, in mm-hmm. which case I'll do an actual character for them and... You know, pay a lot of attention to it. Just because like, just the process of it, and it puts that villain in your head a bit more. You know what? That's really interesting. Because I've realised I don't actually make villains in my games. No? No. I never thought about it until you were talking about it. But no, I, don't, I, I just don't make them. I, I make, like, occasionally horrendous monsters. Yeah. Or oh, like, there's like, Yeah, or there's, there's weird social pressures. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, goblins are invading... But because I'm always asking why... Presumably the goblins have a leader of some kind. Yeah, the goblins will have a leader. Yeah. But the reason the goblins would be invading might well be because it's like the goblin leader is empire building. Mm. But I would generally have it because I like to have, like, unnecessarily things complicated, some mm. geek above, because the goblins are invading because something even more terrible is causing them to shift. Sure, but then maybe that's your villain then. Yeah, uh, uh, but then it depends upon... Whether they dealt with the goblin menace first, yeah, sure. And then you have to have your campaign go on longer. Yeah. I quite like. I remember a villain I had that wasn't a villain. It was this mm. little girl, and she was like eight or something. Yeah. And she was the personification of evil, but she didn't know it, and she was perfectly oh. sweet. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, she didn't. What well, she didn't know that she was the actual personification of actual evil. Right. And yeah. so she was the main villain in the entire campaign. But the the players they were like traveling with her at one point, escorting yeah. her. I had no idea. That she was yeah. actually the main villain in the entire thing, which was, which was great fun. Yeah, I mean uh, this this reification, this saying this is a real concept of an abstract mm. for good and evil. I think that's something that D and D really leans into. Mm. But 
I, I must say from like sort of a moral viewpoint, I kind of disagree. Yeah. You know? mm. Like morally saying that someone could be inherently good with a capital G. I think it depends on, the, again, the genre, though. I mean, yeah. sort of uh, Emperor Palpatine is... Is evil. Is evil. Yeah. And um, Strahd is evil. And yeah. um, I'm trying to think of... But, and, 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 but, well, actually, no, that's one of the things. While Strahd does evil acts, the exploration of his motives in Curse of Strahd and why he is this way are down to his choices. It's not like he's propelled by the essence of evil. It's his choices and their consistency which have led him down an evil path. Hmm. At the end of that path, you've got an evil character, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and things like mind flayers. I mean, is is there anything that's undisputably evil? Devils? Demons? Well, I think devils and demons, yeah, just because... I mean, they're a fictional thing anyway, but their their basic definition is that they're evil. Absolutely. That's 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 their core concept. Without them being evil, they're not really devils and demons aren't they but but going back to this concept of it's the people that really get you interested in stories mm-hmm. motivations mm-hmm. like devils demons they're motivated for doing whatever but i find that makes them unsatisfying antagonists because if because it's sort of if you understand someone's motivations then that makes them sympathetic but you can't understand their motivations and their goals but just completely disagree. I guess it depends how much detail you need as well. Yeah, that's I mean, true. for some for some villains, really, you don't need much detail at all, do mm-hmm. you? Because they're. Well, I'm playing. Um, I mentioned before, like the Pathfinder playtest, mm-hmm. and um, they're sneaking through this little dungeon, and there's a mm-hmm. villain in the dungeon who's like, um, just slight spoilers, no. uh, dominated this. Um, he's a hobgoblin who's like dominated this goblin tribe and he's yeah. making them do stuff for him exactly um, but you know he's going to be in the player's line of fire for probably well they're going to meet they're going to meet Three, him tonight they're, they're literally going to meet him tonight oh, uh, so basically yeah. you, go, you, go, you go through this dungeon and yeah. he's at the back in this sort of temple room where he's doing <laughs> nefarious stuff yeah. and you fight him and you know there's a, you don't need a lot of detail for that guy no you don't need to know his Backstory. I mean, he's well, got a backstory yeah. to be fair, but you don't really need to know it. Right? Well, he's 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 a hobgoblin. He's interested in exerting power over others yeah. and acquiring loot and treasure. Yeah. Like greed is his primary motivation. Mm. But like you know, so sometimes you just want a villain with an understandable motivation mm. that ideally is not easily met without uh, mm. inflicting terrible things on upon the party. Mm. Should we talk about the difference between homebrewing and hacking? Um, okay. Is there a difference? Oh, I think, I think there's a massive difference. Okay. Well, 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 I like to say there's a difference. To me, if you're just playing around with the setting, mm-hmm. um, you're not changing the rules. Yeah. And that, to me, is a homebrew. If you're playing around with the actual game design itself and the game balance, right. that's a hack. Okay. Uh, as in, like, you know, computer programming, you're hacking yeah, So if you take yeah. things out, put things in. I think historically I'd have just called both of those homebrewing. Oh, but me, me I think hacking is a more modern term when it comes to tabletop um, RPGs, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Shows I'm a bit of an old fogey. No, well, I well, guess. Well, well, it's basically one I, I was like coming up with because I'm 100% okay. I really like it, in fact, mm. when people homebrew stuff. Yeah. Because they change, like, it, it, it's different flavors, it's different cultures. Interesting stuff is going on, and like the, but then I'm also playing the game. Mm-hmm. If you're hacking the game, you're changing the underlying rule set. Mm-hmm. 
And that not everyone's a game designer, Mm -hmm. not everyone's a good game designer. And the chances are that if you are changing the rules or something, you're going to break something that you didn't foresee breaking. I often find it is mildly frustrating as a game designer. Mm -hmm. When people get your game, they glance through it, and then immediately suggest house rules they'd like to make to change it. And it's like, well, A, you're not particularly familiar with it yet because you've just glanced through it. And B, you haven't tried it as written yet. Yeah. And you know, try try it. try it as written first, and then from a point from a informed. position of an informed position, yeah. start making your own house rules. But I always yeah. think just like yeah. glancing through a book and then just immediately starting to change it. It's like, well, okay, you can do what you want. It's your game. It's you, you've bought the book. It's your well, book. But yeah. it does seem a bit silly because you, when you've designed a game, you've spent like hours and hours fiddling with yeah, ban- balancing mathematics and all yeah. sorts of stuff. And that's why I like to make the distinction mm-hmm. between hacking and homebrewing. Because to me, hacking is actually a bit of a red flag. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm considering a hack for my fifth dead game. Mm. But that's after I spent a couple of years learning how to play and run the game. Yeah. And a lot of it's like... I mean, it's, not, it's not to say that that's bad, wrong, fun or anything. No, if, you, no, if you want to do that, go ahead oh, and do yeah. it. It's just, just from a game designer's point of view, when sort of people approach you and no. the first thing they say is how they're going to change the system, which... You know, you think, you know, <laughs> try it first and then change it. Absolutely, yeah. What I do like is I do like reskinning. Mm-hmm. So rather than having just random elves and half orcs and whatever. Yeah, well, that's a super easy way to do something, isn't it? Just oh, to reskin. Cool. No, yeah. I, in fact, one of my games, the Elevator Pitch, which is fairy tales, mm-hmm. where they are essentially going through the lands of turning seasons, spring, summer, autumn, winter, mm. and each of those has a fairy queen in charge. Mm. And they're like gallivanting around, finding out how this world came to be. Mm. I said that players could play anything that they wanted mm. found in fairy fairy tales. Right. So I've got one person playing um, a summer diva, which I think I got that right. That's sort of like, have you ever heard of the Swan Princesses of Cool? No. It's, it's Russian and you've got references in Irish mythology. It's basically these women who would change into swans. Okay. And then would fly away, except there was a guy who stole one of their swan cloaks and married her. And it all ended terribly because that's how fairy tales work. Mm. Um, yeah, they're usually not very nice. <laughs> no. Yeah, none of my players appear to have noticed this just yet. Mm. But uh, give them time. It's only been two years. Mm. Um, but yeah, and to do that, I reskinned an Azamar. Yeah. Because like those weren't things in my setting. Mm. But the rest of it, it's like things like Volos has rules for goblins. But I had, if people wanted to play like a goblin or a pooger or a bugbear or what have you. I had banned half orcs, half elves, halflings from the player's handbook mm-hmm. and would allow people to do stuff. So my wife wanted to play a giant, mm-hmm. so I just used a half orc. Sure, okay. You yeah. can do that with monsters too. Yeah, absolutely. That was quite easy. You just uh, take, take a monster stat block, reskin it. And... Oh, abso- absolutely. That's like the OG idea, which let me think about how to reskin player races. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, um, taking a troll and giving it like an extra three or six eyes and have it uh, explode into fiery beetles. And that's a real life example, by the way, from a game <laughs> I was in not too long ago. Yeah, that's a perfectly just way to do stuff. Hmm. Daryl here one last time to remind you of our Patreon at patreon.com slash Morris. The guys went on for a very, very long time about world building and The deleted scenes and outtakes episode this week is going to be almost a full hour. 
Coming up, the guys are about to go through the steps to create a fantasy world by using the random tables from Ian Publishing's NEW role-playing game, and I've heavily edited down the process. But if you want to hear all the brainstorming and ideas this generated, plus a lot more content, including a guest appearance or two from Russ's dog Django, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash morris, and you'll get access to all the previous deleted scenes and outtakes episodes, along with new episodes the day after the main podcast posts. And I promise this will be the last time I interrupt on the main show this week. I've got a fun idea. Yes. Why don't we try randomly creating a planet, just for a laugh? Yeah, let's do it. Just see what happens, see yeah. what wacky results we get. So what we're going to do is we're going to use a science fiction world-building random table, and then we're going to make a fantasy setting out of it, because it sounds fun. Okay. <laughs> so, first thing... Yeah, well, then it starts at this, like, star level, and then goes all the way down to okay. civilization. Yeah. So the first thing you would do is you're going to determine what type of star system this world is in. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you're going to roll a D6. So this is going to end up creating a world probably a lot more different to our world than, say, the Forgotten Realms is, which tends to sort of have standard climates and days and yeah, yeah sort of stuff. So it's going, to, it's, going to have, it's going to be a lot more different to our world. Yeah, but uh, but so it, it won't be like our world, but it will still be fantasy. So that, hmm. that could be a really interesting way. So D6. Okay, uh, I've got a four. So this world is a binary star system. Ooh, Nice. Binary star system. Hmm. Okay. So, so we've got two sets of Each of these two stars are. Yeah. So you're going to roll D66 twice. D66. Oh, sorry. Uh, 66 is you roll D6 and D6 separately, and one's tens, one's the units. So I've got a 42. 42. So the first one is a brown dwarf. Okay, we've got a brown dwarf. Yeah. Second star is a 51. So 51, an ultraviolet. Super giant. Wow. That, that sounds very interesting. What happens next? Uh, then we're going to see how many planets there are. Okay. So there's going to be 2d6. Okay. Yeah, because you, you very rarely consider anything more than one planet when you're doing the fantasy stuff, do you? So I've got eight. Uh, so got eight planets. Well, interestingly, I think um, Galarian, which is the Pathfinder thing, they mm-hmm. talk about other planets in the system. Yeah. In the solar system. Mm. So I think they're a little more sort of standard solar system cosmology yeah, model. Yeah. and then they've kind of expanded that with starfinder haven't they actually if you think about it a lot of the um spells in dnd allow you to travel between places mm-hmm. so yeah like actually being able to see the signs of, of civilizations up in the sky yeah that wow that would be that'd be amazing right so um normally you would then go through each of those eight planets and determine which one each is let's not worry too much about okay. that and assume there's a sort of selection of rocky planets asteroid belts ice giants all that sort of stuff Okay, but well, one well, of them is going to be a rocky planet, which is going to be the one we're going to be setting this on. So oh, okay. So it could be any of them. But, but, but we've got. We'll, we'll put at least one rocky planet. Do you want to? Shall we do the others and see? Well, you can. It's just, yeah. I'm not sure how, how much fun listening to us just list them out. Okay. Would be. Well, what are they? One there's these, eight of them. I've got a rocky planet, an asteroid belt, a rocky planet, an asteroid belt, a gas giant, another rocky planet, an asteroid belt, and an ice giant. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, I think realistically... Let's just got... pick one of the rocky planets as being... Yeah. Uh... Okay, first one, rocky so planet. first one, you're going to write 1d6 for its basic size. Okay, I've got one. One, so it's a dwarf planet. Okay. So it's about the size of Pluto. I thought you said it was a planet. No. <laughs> That's that planet's basic sort of size, gravity. 
Okay, so yeah. that's already going to start defining what sort of life forms you've got yeah. in there. I, I'm thinking maybe some bird people seems like... Or yeah. Some sort of like migratory bird people, that says yeah. to me. Um, so the atmosphere, yeah. you're going to roll for a barren planet 2d6. Okay. Do we want to do different atmospheres? Because that would reduce the capability of different people to mix. Well, I think we can assume that the civilization that lives there is able to breathe its atmosphere. Oh, yeah, yeah. But like... um. Part, part of the joys of doing it this way mm. is we just realised we can actually have a separate world and if they've got the same atmosphere, it means that they're more likely to be able to talk. Okay, well, something. just assume it's an Earth-like atmosphere. Yeah, Earth-like okay. atmosphere. Move yeah. on from that. We'll, we'll, we'll put our thumb in the scales and that's an important part of world building where you say, actually, I've got this cool idea, which is I want the rocky... The, I've got two rocky planets. I want the people on them to be able to talk okay. to each other. And so I've got this section here on naming planets, and I've just got a whole okay. list of suggestions like Roman gods, Greek gods, Egyptian gods, mm -hmm. Greek titans, mythological creatures, astronomers, cities, demons and devils, Slavic folklore, Chinese mythology, all Shakespearean names, nice. loads and loads of names that you could just like... Because I, I, I always kind of like the idea, if you're designing a, a star system, mm -hmm. all the um, planets in it would be named after a certain theme. Yes. Because I think that's how explorers yeah. would actually start to name these things. Yeah, because I, I ran um, that what's old is that new game for you, and it was like Tiamat and then all the planets were colour codes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So here's, here's one. No. <laughs> Alter Egos, Clark, Diana, Bruce, Waddy, Oliver, Selena, Oswald, Diana and John. The Justice League. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so so shall we shall we have a look and see if we can do a bit better with the other rocky planet that we had? Okay, uh, we know it's a rocky planet, so one d six for its size. Okay, uh, three. This is average, so it's basically an Earth sized planet. This one. Okay, this is going to end up slightly different to that one. Uh, number of moons one d six minus three. Uh, five minus three is two. Two moons. Two moons. And also, a planet of this size has a small chance of having rings. Ooh. Should be quite exciting. Only a one in six chance, though. So we'll d6. If we get one, it's got rings. Ah, uh, no. no. No rings. That's unfortunate. Okay. And then two d6 just for its general type. I've got a total of four. Four. So this is an icy world. So Ooh. Hoth. Yeah. Okay. So we'll say icy world in general. Yeah, obviously there's going to be areas that are warmer and, yeah, yeah. you know, generally speaking. But but maybe that means that we've got quite a, more of a restricted place where civilization grows mm. and then it becomes a bit icier elsewhere. Yeah. So what you would now do is you create the civilization itself. Okay, yeah. So mm -hmm. the general type is 1d6. Okay, I've got six. So it's a very militaristic world and uh, it's, it's wealth level, again, 1d6. Again, six. And it's super rich. Okay. So it's a very, very wealthy civilization and a very militaristic civilization. Okay. Uh, the government, you roll 2d6. Okay. So I've got a five. Five a fascist state. Doesn't sound like a very nice place, this. We've got an icy world. Yeah. Fascist state, super rich with a militaristic... Ooh. Yeah. I don't think I'd like that place at all. No, it, it, it's quite interesting, though. We're, we're definitely getting a very strong, unusual theme. And then across the way, we've got a dwarf planet. Mm. And, and to me, like, you know, militaristic, super rich fascists, they look, they look like the bad guys to me. Or yeah. like a, sounds, they could be a like major it. antagonist. And then, if you wanted to, you could go onto a random species creation to work out what the um, dominant life form is like. Ah, interesting. So rather yeah. than having an orc or a goblin or a human or an elf, you just have a completely random one. Okie dokie. Random species. Yeah. That could be a evil militaristic dictator race okay. on this ice planet. Why not? Primary antagonist. Yeah. Okay. 
Now we can essentially allow our imagination to do the rest or well, I mean, would you would you just like roll everything randomly? And then... No, I think um, rolling randomly gives you a starting point. Yeah, yeah. It's it's used for inspiration. Yeah, no. it's, yeah. It's a way of breaking writer's block, or uh-huh. you know, if you got if you got a better idea in your head already, go with uh-huh. that rather than rolling yeah. definitely. But yeah. if you sort of think, right, I just need something now. Make a few dice rolls. Something will click in your head, and you and you are. Yeah, and and having a fantasy setting where you've got two sort of planets that can see each other. Mm. And are aware of the civilizations on the other. That, mm. that sounds like it could be pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, well, we've created a star system. We've got the potential for quite an interesting plot, which mm. is how to get it going. We've sort of got a Renaissance civilization, which is still balkanized to some extent. Mm. And you've got these, um, these what's it, these bright yellow muscular humanoids with their acidic blood, <laughs> and and maybe they're working on like you know. Um, elementary space flight or they've got the magic to get it going yeah 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 maybe yeah maybe they've seen this other planet and their greatest goal is to reach it and conquer it whereas the other people on the other planet don't know that these guys are evil because how would they know and they're looking forward to welcoming them well exactly or or like they're they're living on their own particular place which Mm. is like they're trying to get around and either they're living underground or they're like uh, staying in the dawn light as it were yeah so I think that's it for today. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I hope that you've learned a few useful little tips. And if you haven't, I hope you enjoyed it anyway. Um, so that's goodbye from me, Russ. That's goodbye from him. It's goodbye from me, Peter. See you next week. Listening to that drivel just made me feel nauseous. Maybe a spot of eyeball raking will make me feel a bit better. But which one shall I torture? I do enjoy Russ's screams, but Peter makes these wonderful gurgling noises when he's in pain. Decisions, decisions.